I'll invite you to turn to, in your uh, Bibles to two openings of Scripture. We've been using these two Scriptures as uh, beginning points or text Scriptures. Zechariah chapter 10 and verse 1 and James chapter 5 and verse 7. Zechariah chapter 10 and verse 1 says, Ask ye of the Lord rain. The rain is always used in the Bible as a type of the Holy Ghost, the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. We know that because in Acts chapter 2, Peter stood up and said, this is the early and the latter rain that was prophesied about. So we know that when it's talking about rain, it's not just talking about the natural rain that they need to, to, uh, to grow and uh, mature their crops, but it's talking, it has a spiritual application as well. So where it says, ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain, it means ask for the moving of the Holy Ghost in the last days. Well, what are, what's going to happen if we do that? It says, so the Lord shall make bright clouds. Now, the only other place that this word bright clouds is used or, or uh, um, well, yeah, used, I guess is the, the way to say it in the Hebrew. This uh, was originally written in Hebrew. The only other place that it's used is translated in the King James lightnings. And so the margin of my Bible has a little number there and, and takes you to the to center margin. It says or lightnings. Well, this word is uh, is really kind of difficult for the translators, I guess, because what would it be called? I mean, what is the Bible talking about when it says the Lord shall make bright clouds or lightnings? Well, the, in my opinion, the reason that they translated it bright clouds is because in the Old Testament, God oftentimes appeared in, uh, in the glory cloud. You remember when they dedicated Solomon's temple? Uh, the singers stood up to sing and, and they, they worshiped God. And it said the glory of the Lord filled the house and the priest couldn't stand to minister. That doesn't mean they were tired of ministering, didn't want to do it anymore. It means they couldn't stand up. Well, this is the same thing that happened, but it uses different words to describe when uh, in Genesis chapter 15, when God made a covenant with Abraham. It says in the King James that there was a burning lamp and a smoking flax. Well, if you look up those words, it really means a burning lamp. That was per, that one was pretty close. But the other means a vaporous glistening. Well, what would that be other than, a, than the glory cloud of God? It talks about the glory cloud that, that came and separated Moses from the people when several times in the wilderness when they rose up and wanted to kill him because they didn't like the results or the consequences of their own disobedience. Well, that was the glory cloud. Everybody recognized that was a manifestation of God's presence. And so apparently that's, these, that's what this word or this, uh, uh, what the prophet is trying to communicate to us that in the Hebrew language that's so difficult for us in the, uh, or was difficult for the translators, I guess, in, uh, into the English. So it says, ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain, so the Lord shall make bright clouds. I personally think bright clouds is a good definition or a good translation, and I think lightnings is too. Because in every situation where God manifested himself in the glory cloud, you'll find a manifestation not only of his presence, but a demonstration of his power. Everybody understood that that's what it was. I mean, you've got a lot of murmuring going on in, uh, among the, the children of Israel when they want to stone Moses and the glory cloud shows up and everybody shuts up because they realize, okay, <laughs> this seems to be God taking Moses' side. We'll let this one go. And in some cases, that glory cloud caused miraculous things to happen. Like in one case, the ground opened up and swallowed up the people that were standing against and coming against Moses. I wish I could control that. I'd have the earth opening up in some places. And it would benefit all of us. 
I'd start in some places on the East Coast. <laughs> well, everybody recognized that as a demonstration of God's power, didn't they? Well, that's what it's talking about here. Has to be. Has to be talking about the same thing. Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain in the last days. So the Lord shall make bright clouds. He'll manifest his presence and demonstrate his power. If we'll just ask. Then he goes further and says, and give them showers of rain. Now, I would think that the bright clouds and the lightnings is is a pretty good um, display of rain. But on top of that, on top of a manifestation of his power, or his presence, excuse me, and a demonstration of his power, it says that he'll give showers of rain on top of that. That has to mean, therefore, outpourings of the Holy Ghost. Now, maybe that's certain events. Maybe that's, uh, I know I've been in situations and certain services and places like that where the Holy Ghost poured himself out in a special way and it affected the crowd. In one case, uh, everybody that was uh, in that crowd, in that congregation was healed. Every sick person was healed. Never been in another situation, never been in another service where every sick person was healed. But that one they were. Well, maybe that was an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Maybe we could call that a shower of rain. I'm not exactly sure. Sure is going to be fun to find out, though, isn't it? Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain, so the Lord shall make bright clouds or lightnings and give them showers of rain. For what purpose? To everyone grass in the field. That's obviously using the example of growing crops, rain maturing and, and harvesting crops or bringing crops to maturity so they can be harvested. So... What is it talking about a harvest from God's standpoint? Folks, the only thing God has ever been interested in is people. He's not talking about growing wheat or growing corn or anything like that. He's talking about developing people or bringing people into the kingdom of God. Now, James chapter 5, verse 7 brings that out. James 5, 7 says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Thank God he's coming. But 2,000 years ago, James wrote and said, Be patient, he's coming. I'm glad we're 2,000 years closer to it. Amen? So he said, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman, he uses the type of Jesus and God being a, a farmer again. He said, Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth. Again, that has to be talking about people. And has long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain. What's going to bring about this harvest that Jesus is going to reap when he comes back for the church in what we know of as the rapture. Even though the word rapture is not in the New Testament, it conveys the, the, uh, the meaning that everybody understands, that Jesus is coming back for the church. He's going to take us with himself to heaven while the events of the tribulation are taking place here on the earth. So what's going to bring that about? What's going to bring about Jesus returning to the earth? Well, it must not be enough for it just to be the plan of God for him to come. Because it says he's waiting for something. Now, Jesus doesn't know the day or the hour that he's coming. The Bible's real clear on that. Jesus was real clear when he told his disciples. He said, I don't know. If I knew, I would tell you. That's why I don't know. Because no man's supposed to know. So then what's he waiting for? He's waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. And there's only one thing that the Bible identifies that brings that about. And that's the early and the latter rain. He has long patience for it until he received the early and the latter rain. In other words, the result of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, the result of the manifestation of God's presence and the demonstration of his power in the last days 
will bring about a harvest of people being reaped into the family of God that Jesus will come back for. In simple terms, we could say there's going to be an end-time revival before Jesus comes. Amen? Now, what are those lightnings? What should we look for? Well, First Corinthians chapter 12 Paul is in in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul is instructed by the Holy Ghost to tell us how the Holy Ghost manifests himself or how the Holy Ghost works. So if the the rain, the latter rain is an outpouring of the Holy Ghost, and then Paul tells us how the Holy Ghost works, then 1 Corinthians 12 is important for us to know so that we can cooperate with the Holy Ghost. Because the Holy Ghost doesn't operate in and of himself or separate from or apart from the body of Christ. You ever heard of anybody meeting the Holy Ghost or walking down the road and getting saved? No, but you can have bunches of stories. You know of of many illustrations and events where people who were inspired by the Holy Ghost met somebody on the road and brought them to Christ. So the Holy Ghost is the helper. He doesn't do the work apart from the body of Christ. He's the one that helps us do the work. Well, if we're going to be involved and if our cooperation is necessary, then we need to know how he works. So Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Now, the word gifts is in italics, which means the translators added it. The word in the original he, uh, the original Greek, the word spiritual is in the plural. Now, concerning spirituals, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Well, I understand why the translators wanted to put something in there. That doesn't make sense. Until you realize that the word spirituals means, is defined as, things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost. So he says, now concerning things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Well, if the Holy Ghost didn't want them ignorant in Paul's day, I wonder if he wants us to be ignorant today. Well, the way many Christians and many churches ignore these verses, these whole chapters that speak of things pertaining to the Holy Ghost, they must think that that there's no need for uh, for knowledge concerning the Holy Ghost in this regard. Yet that doesn't seem to be God's attitude. Now, concerning things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Skip with me over to verse 7. Because not everything in chapter 12 is talking about what we know of as spiritual gifts or manifestations of the Spirit. He talks about the body of Christ. He talks about different things like that. And all those pertain to the the Holy Ghost. But the ones specifically that we want to focus on are beginning beginning in verse 7 of chapter 12. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. The word manifestation means shining forth. In other words, the display of God's power and the manifestation of his presence. In other words, the lightnings of the bright clouds. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit with all. Notice it doesn't profit him, it profits others. With all means the whole group, the whole congregation, the whole body of Christ. But the manifestation of the spirit is given to profit with all. God doesn't manifest himself to benefit you and just you in these ways that Paul is going to describe. Now, the Holy Ghost will do a lot of things for you and just to help you. But he's talking about when the Holy Ghost manifests himself in what Zechariah 10.1 talks about as lightnings or bright clouds. That's to benefit everybody. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all four. To one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom. That's supernatural revelation concerning future events. To another, the word of knowledge by the same spirit. That's supernatural revelation of past or present events, people, things, etc. 
to another, verse 9, faith, Amplified Bible says special faith. That's a supernatural manifestation of faith that goes beyond saving faith or faith that you can develop through the hearing of the Word of God. Romans ten seventeen says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Well, it's got to be talking about a measure of faith that goes beyond that because everybody could have that. And Paul just said that's on this manifestation of special faith is going to be only for some. So it's got to be a different level. Now, all faith works the same way. Believe in the heart and say with the mouth. But the basis for that faith changes. See, the basis for saving faith is the knowledge that Jesus went to the cross and was raised from the dead. The basis for growing faith or developing faith in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, comes from knowledge of the Word of God. If you know that Jesus died for your sickness as well as He died for your sins, then you can have faith to be healed. But there comes a place where the Word doesn't cover certain life situations or things that we come uh, come upon, and we have to have something that comes in a stronger measure, whether it's the Word that God speaks to our heart or whether it's an inward witness or whatever it is, it's a manifestation of the Holy Ghost that gives us a greater confidence that goes beyond anything we could have for ourselves. Smith Wilkerson talked about this kind of faith, this manifestation of special faith when it comes to raising the dead. First person he came upon to, that was uh, that was dead, he said, I penetrated heaven with my faith and the answer was no. He was trying to raise them himself. He was trying to use his own faith and his own knowledge of Jesus and the word of God and so forth to raise the dead. And he said the answer was no. He said, but there came down from heaven another faith that took hold of me. And that wouldn't take no for an answer. That's about the best way I know that we could describe it. I believe his description of that was inspired by the Holy Ghost. And that has to be what Paul's talking about. There are certain manifestations of of faith that go beyond just what you and I can develop through our knowledge of the word. Next thing he says is to another, the gifts of healings, both gifts and healings are in the plural. Those are supernatural manifestations of the Holy Ghost that that result in the recovery from a diseased condition that result in physical healing for the body. To another, the working of miracles, verse 10, to another, the working of miracles, a miracle is, uh, is specifically defined as a divine intervention into the ordinary course of nature. So the working of miracles is a supernatural move of God or an act of God that would cause physical laws to be suspended in some way or another. To another prophecy, that's supernatural utterance, in a known tongue, and when I say known tongue, I mean I mean by that a language known to the person who's speaking. The next one is to another discerning of spirits. Discerning of spirits is a supernatural revelation or insight into the spirit realm. Notice not dis, it's not discerning of devils. So many times people want to act like they they'll even call it a gift of discernment, and everything they see is a devil. Well, the Bible talks more about the appearance of angels than it does demons. That may be a surprise to some people because all that others talk about are demons. The next one is to another diverse kinds of tongues. The word diverse is in italics, again, meaning the translators added it. So it literally says to another kinds of tongues. Well, what does he mean kinds of tongues? That's supernatural inspiration to speak in a language unknown 
to the speaker. It may or may not be unknown to the hearer. Finally, the last one on the list, the last of nine, says to another, the interpretation of tongues. The interpretation of tongues is a supernatural interpretation or supernatural showing forth of that which was spoken in other tongues. It's not translation. It's not word for word. But it's a showing forth of the meaning of that which was spoken in other tongues. Verse 11, but all these worketh that one in the selfsame spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Now, let me ask you a question. Since Paul says that there are nine different ways that the Holy Ghost manifests himself. In other words, there are nine different flashes of lightning or category of lightning flashes. And those are my words. Forgive me if they're, they're poor words to describe it, but I hope you understand what I'm saying when we connect the different scriptures together. If there are nine different ways that the Holy Ghost will manifest himself or display the power of God, why does he focus on tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy more than the others in the next two chapters? Why didn't he tell us more about the working of miracles? Why didn't he tell us more about the word of knowledge or the word of wisdom? Why does he speak to tongues, interpretation of tongues, and prophecy in the church more than any of the others? Well, I think for two reasons. Number one, I think that's the area of their ignorance. But more importantly than that, the Holy Ghost seems to want us to know how to operate those that we seem to have the most control over. Folks, I could stand up here and say anything and say, thus saith the Lord. I could stand up here and speak in tongues using the the prayer language that the Lord has given me because I'm filled with the Spirit. And interpret that any way I want to. And declare that this is the interpretation of what I said. And there's no way for you to identify it and judge it other than whether or not it's scriptural. So in that sense, I could have a a, a real zeal or a desire or a heart to be used in the things of God. And I could get excited in the flesh. And speak out in tongues or speak out in, in English. And say that God inspired me to do it. But that doesn't mean that I was inspired to do it. It may just mean I got excited. And that seems to be what's happening a lot in the church here in Corinth. Because the, the, uh, the, the gist of what Paul says in chapters 12, 13, and 14. Is that their services are without any order. And people aren't being blessed. And the unbelievers aren't being ministered to. The unlearned aren't being taught Because everybody's having their little speaking in tongues party. So what are we to know? Well, there are several things that we ought to know about speaking in tongues. First of all, we need to know that there's a public side and a private side. Paul identifies the difference in the two in these three chapters. Chapters 12, 13, 14, 1 Corinthians. We should know first and foremost that speaking with other tongues is the initial evidence or the initial sign of being filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, the Bible says uh, in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, and they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. It also says that there there were cloven tongues of fire that sat upon each of them. Well, let me ask you a question. Why don't we look for the tongues of fire when people get filled with the Spirit? It happened to them. And see, here's where people make mistakes. They'll have some kind of experience and think everybody else is supposed to have their experience. 
Well, Paul got saved by a blinding light on the road to Damascus. Did you get saved that way? I didn't. What does that tell us? That tells us the blinding blinding light is not the sign of salvation. I didn't have cloven tongues of fire set on top of me. I've never seen those cloven tongues of fire sit on top of anybody that got filled with the Holy Ghost in my ministry. But they all spoke with tongues. Now, the Bible identifies being being filled with the Holy Ghost in, in three different terms in the New Testament. Filled with the Spirit, baptized in the Holy Ghost, and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. All three of those are used in connection with being filled with the Spirit of what we know of as the Acts 2 verse 4 experience. And every one of those are accompanied. Every situation, every different uh, way that it's uh, described and so forth is accompanied by speaking in tongues. Now turn with me over to Acts chapter 10. Let me show you something here. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 tells us about the story of uh, when Peter and certain of the Jews, they're called of the circumcision. That means of the Jewish leadership in uh, the church in Jerusalem, went down to Cornelius' house and where the the gospel was first preached unto the Gentiles. um, Well, how do I describe it? First preached unto the Gentiles by direction of God, specific direction of God from the church of Jerusalem. There were some other things that, like Samaria had already been preached to, and there was a revival down there, but that wasn't sanctioned. That was just Philip that went down there on his own. And so, you know, that really didn't, as far as the church at Jerusalem was concerned, the Jewish part of the church at Jerusalem particularly, that didn't count. Acts chapter 10 is where it counts. And so Philip, uh, uh, excuse me, Peter goes down and begins to preach. And it says... Let's begin in verse 44. It takes a vision to get Peter to go, first of all. It takes the Lord saying three times something in a vision. And finally, getting real specific and say, three people are looking for you. Don't ask any questions. Go with them. And then he gets down there. Now, as a result of his preaching, it says in verse 44, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. Notice that phrase, the Holy Ghost fell. Could this be an outpouring as described in Zechariah 10.1, a shower of rain. The Holy Ghost clearly falls because the Holy Ghost is inspiring Luke to say the Holy Ghost fell. So obviously the Holy Ghost falls. The Holy Ghost is saying specifically, I fell on them. Well, could that be a shower of rain as described in Zechariah 10.1? I think so. I think there'll be showers of rain where the Holy Ghost will manifest himself in different ways. The the result of this is that they're filled with the Holy Spirit. But what if the result of this had been everybody was healed? Well, that would have been a shower of rain for a different purpose, wouldn't it? That's what I think showers of rain means in Zechariah 10.1. Now, I could be off. Uh, I'm not going to be off in the sense that it couldn't be it, because clearly this is an example of that. But I could be off from the standpoint of it could mean a whole lot more than just what we see there. I'm okay with that. I'm always okay with God expanding things beyond what I know. Because, folks, let me tell you something. If God only does things according to what you know, there's no element of the supernatural. 
I get amused at some people saying, well, Pastor Mike, I just can't accept that. I think, well, gee, that's it. But if you and your little peanut brain can't accept it, it can't be God, huh? But there seems to be a, a, an underlying assumption by a lot of people that we ought to be able to figure everything out. Well, then where's the supernatural? Supernatural means things beyond what we would think or know or expect. Here's a supernatural outpouring of the Holy Ghost. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision, thus these are the Jewish leaders in the church at Jerusalem that went down with Peter to Cornelius' house. And they of the circumcision which believed, they're believers, were astonished as many as came with Peter because that on the Gentiles was also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. And notice how it's, re- how it's described here. Because also upon the Gentiles was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. How did they know? How do they go from hearing Peter preach on one at one moment to the next moment? They're saying, wow, these people just had the gift of the Holy Ghost poured out on, upon them. Notice verse 30 or verse. Uh, what is it? Verse 46 for because here's how they knew because they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. How did they know that they received the gift of the Holy Ghost? Because they spoke with tongues. Where are the cloven tongues of fire? Not there. Cloven tongues of fire certainly happened in Acts chapter 2. But it's not something that we could expect to happen in every case. Yet tongues is always the evidence of being filled with the Holy Ghost, being baptized in the Spirit, or receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. Whichever term you want to use, whichever phrase is good for you. So it's the initial evidence. It's the initial evidence. Well, are these people supposed to be speaking in tongues in church now? Now, this is the private side. This is the private side. Now, notice it says he heard them speak with tongues. They heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Speaking in tongues is a means of magnifying God. Now, how do you magnify God? We know something about magnification in, in, a, in a simple context. If you took a magnifying glass and put it on top of your Bible, it would make the words bigger, right? So to magnify means to enlarge, to make something bigger. How do you make God bigger? Well, from God's perspective, you can't make him any bigger, but from your perspective, you can make him a lot bigger. In other words, you can make him bigger to you. You can make him bigger to you. Now, let me show you something else. Turn with me over to Jude, verse 20. Jude is just before the book of Revelation. Notice in Jude, it's only one chapter. Instead of a letter, it's kind of a postcard. And notice what Jude says as he's inspired by the Holy Ghost. Notice in Jude, verse 20, it says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Notice something else that praying in tongues does or speaking in tongues does. It not only magnifies God, it builds you up on your holy faith. Now, don't misunderstand what this is saying. It's not saying speaking in tongues gives you faith. Romans ten seventeen is clear about how faith comes. So then faith comes by hearing, not by praying in tongues. 
Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God is always the foundation for faith. But the word that you hear can be built upon and solidified. You can become strengthened and established in that faith by speaking in other tongues. Now, why is that? Turn with me back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 now. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Folks, let me tell you something. Spirit-filled Christians are always, always, always going to be tempted by the devil, of the devil, not to use the prayer language that God has given. And I'll, I'll even go further as to say this. You can't find anybody that backslides speaking in tongues. But you can find a lot of people who are spirit-filled, who have received the gift of the Holy Spirit with the initial evidence of speaking in other tongues that get pulled away and stop using it. And then they're open for backsliding. They're open for being broken in a place of broken fellowship through sin in their lives. Now notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Verse 4, notice verse 4, it says, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself, but he that prophesies edifies the church. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself. The word edify means to build up or charge up like a battery. In other words, speaking in other tongues, and in my opinion, the reason that it is the initial evidence of being filled with the Spirit is that it brings spiritual strengthening, unless you don't use it. It's like letting the battery on your car run down when you've got a charger in the garage. I've got an electric car. I've got a a high-speed charger in my garage. Now, I can can drive in that electric car up to 300 miles on a charge. Now, that car works great. It's a lot of fun to drive. It's fast. You wouldn't believe how fast that thing is. (laughs) And I could get in there from the first day that I got it. First day I got it, full charge. I could ride down the road and say, this is the most fun that I've ever had in my life. And drive it till it's empty. And then get out and look at it and say, I don't know why this isn't working anymore. But all I got to do is recharge it. And every night when I pull into the driveway, I pull out the charging cable, stick it the little thing into the charge port, and the next morning I'm ready to go. That's what speaking in tongues is supposed to be like spiritually. But you're the one that has to hook up the cable. And the cable is speaking in tongues. So many Christians are sitting around saying, I just don't know why I feel so helpless. Well, it might be because either you don't, you're not filled with the Spirit, you've rejected that, or you might be filled with the Spirit, but you're not using what's available for you. And notice verse 2. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2. It says, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men. Well, that's good. But unto God, for no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. I've pointed this out before. Weymouth's translation says instead of mysteries, it says divine secrets. Now, folks, what I want you to understand is speaking divine secrets means the devil doesn't know what you're saying, which is why he tries to pull you away so much. 
Because he doesn't know what you're talking about. And he sure doesn't like being left out. If he's left out, how does he know how to attack? Which, in my opinion, is one of the great benefits of speaking in other tongues. He speaks divine secrets. He speaks divine secrets. Now, I don't know how you could identify anything more important than speaking divine secrets with God. What's more important than that? Now, I want you to see something else about this. There's a, there's a lot of things that we talk about, could talk about as far as benefits of speaking in tongues. One thing, for example, the more you speak with other tongues, the more it uh, uh, makes you conscious of the fact that the Holy Ghost lives on the inside of you. The more you speak with tongues, the more accustomed you become to yielding to the Holy Spirit. The more you speak with tongues, the, the easier it is for you to stay unspotted from the world. Other people can be doing ungodly things all around you, but you can be speaking in tongues to yourself and nobody even know what's going on. And you can be having a, a, a time of fellowship with God. So there's a lot of benefits to speaking in tongues that we could get into. And of course, we're talking about the private side of tongues. But I want you to focus on something else. Notice in verse 2. Notice this is how be it in the spirit. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God, for no man understandeth him. How be it in the spirit? He speaks mysteries. How be it in the spirit? He speaks mysteries. How be it in the spirit? He speaks mysteries. Do you realize that what Paul is saying by the Holy Ghost is that speaking in other tongues is a means whereby you can be in the spirit? Now, you tell me, how much of the church world is conscious of the fact that we are spirit beings? That we have a soul and we live in a body. The Bible is real clear on it. But how much of the church world focuses on the fact that we are spirit beings? Not much. You start talking about being led of the Holy Ghost by the Spirit of God within your own spirit, and people look at you like you're nuts. I'm talking about Christians. They'll look at you like you have fallen off the, the back of the truck here. But the more you speak in tongues, the more you utilize the prayer language, the, the supernatural means of communication that God has given you, the more in the spirit you can become accustomed to being. How be it in the spirit? He speaketh mysteries. Notice uh, further on in chapter 14, Paul says in uh, verse 14, he says, for if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth. The amplified, I like the amplified on this because it says my spirit prayeth by the Holy Ghost in me, by the Holy Spirit in me. It's your spirit cooperating with the utterance that the Holy, the Holy Spirit gives you. So it's your spirit exercising itself with words given to you by the Holy Ghost. So it's not just a, a, a spiritual exercise in and of yourself. It's a spiritual exercise that's prompted by God. Is like God's working out with you spiritually. He's your workout partner. He's your spiritual workout partner. Of 
For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit by the Holy Spirit within me prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. Notice he goes further, verse 15. He said, what is it then? What am I going to do then? There's two ways to pray. One way is to pray with your understanding. In other words, that's mental praying. Another way is to pray by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost in other tongues. That's spiritual praying. Now, when the Bible talks about making contact with God, it's never talking about making contact with him with your mind. The Bible talks about faith being a product of the heart or the spirit, not the mind. That's why faith will work in your heart even when there's doubt in your mind. Because faith is a spiritual force. But if all a Christian ever uses is their understanding or their mind to pray, they're at a terrible, terrible disadvantage. The lie that the church is, that Satan has perpetrated on the church, that being filled with the Spirit's not for everybody or it's not for today, is one of the greatest tactical and strategic moves he could possibly make. Because it keeps the church at a disadvantage. It keeps the church in mental prayer. And God's not a mind. You don't reach God through your mind. We gain knowledge of God through our minds to apply spiritually by acting on it. But God's not a mind. You can't reach God with your mind. You talk to most people about, okay, let's pray about this really hard. Most people shut their eyes tight and think that's praying hard. In other words, they take some kind of physical action trying to get a spiritual result. And that never works. So he said, what is it then? What will I do then? If I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? What shall I do? See, some people say, take that and stop right there and say, well, that's it. I'll never pray uh, with my understanding ever again. I'll just always pray in tongues and tongues only. Well, that's not what Paul said he did. He said, what is it then? I will pray with the spirit. That means you can control it. That means you can decide when to speak or pray in other tongues. The Holy Ghost is always there with utterance. Now, here's why. Uh, here's one aspect of building yourself up on your faith. Because every time you open your mouth to speak in other tongues, you're trusting that the Holy Ghost is going to be there with words to speak. He's going to be there with utterance. So in that regard, it helps you to develop faith by stepping out there and expecting God to be to catch you. So he said, what is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, your choice, your call, your will. And I will pray with the understanding also. In other words, you can pray in other tongues as an act of your will just as much as you can choose to pray in English. Then he goes further and says, I will sing with the Spirit. That must be beneficial too then. Now, if praying with the Spirit means praying in other tongues, then singing with the Spirit's got to mean singing in other tongues. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. Notice he goes further. He says, else when thou shalt bless with the Spirit. So you can pronounce blessings by speaking in other tongues. Else when thou bless with the Spirit, how shall he that occupies the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving of thanks, seeing he understands not what thou sayest? For thou verily givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. Now here's very simply what that means. For example, we'll use an example here, and this is the example that Paul is using. If we had a church dinner, and if it's just us that are filled with the Holy Ghost, then we could say, all right, let's just say the blessing over this meal in tongues. 
The Bible says you're giving thanks well. And we could do that. But if there are those that are unsaved or people that aren't filled with the Spirit, they wouldn't know what we're saying and they wouldn't know what we were, to, they wouldn't know how to, to get involved to, to bless the food. So he's saying if there are people that are unsaved or unlearned in your midst, don't do it in other tongues, even though doing it in tongues is a great way to do it. That's a situation where we should choose to use words that they can understand so that they can be blessed as well. So that's the, that's the context. That's the example that Paul is using. But I want you to get the idea that speaking with tongues is speaking a blessing and giving thanks. Look with me over to Romans chapter 8. By the way, Paul, we stopped with verse 17. Paul goes on in verse 18 to say, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Paul must have spent a lot of time speaking in tongues. I wonder if that had anything to do with him understanding how the Holy Ghost manifests himself. Every person that I've ever read after that's been used of God in a great way that said, and not everybody does, not everybody is either asked the question or addresses the issue, but everybody that I've ever used, ever read after that's been used of God in a great way that has said what the secret to their success in ministry is has always credited it to speaking in other tongues. Brother Hagin said that he received more revelation through speaking in tongues than any other way. And the revelation he received, by and large, was, was a revelation of the Word. Romans chapter 8, notice in verse uh, 26, Paul says, Likewise, the Spirit, talking about the Holy Spirit, also helpeth our infirmities. Now, infirmities means weakness. It doesn't mean sickness. It means weakness. The Bible says Jesus not only took our infirmities, but carried our diseases. In other words, he paid for weakness and sickness. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. Now, what weakness is he talking about here? For, he, he uh, explains what he means, for we know not what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, that phrase, with groanings which cannot be uttered, has freaked out lots and lots of people. And some people have take that, taken that and run to excess and said, well, we're going to have a groaning meeting. Well, first of all, notice you can't give those to yourself. Or maybe we should more accurately say the ones you do give to yourself are worthless. It's a groaning that the Holy Ghost has to give. And there are some times that there is a groan that comes with praying in other tongues. There's no question about that. But this phrase, groanings which cannot be uttered, literally means sounds that cannot be uttered in articulate speech. P.C. Nelson, who was the foremost authority on the Greek translation or the Greek language when he was alive, was asked about this. And he said, the best way to translate this is the spirit himself maketh intercession for us with God talk. Well, what would that be if it's not praying in tongues? What would that be if it's not praying in tongues? The Holy Ghost is going to give us something other than what he already gave us when we were filled with the Spirit. Now, we could tell stories about this all day long. But basically, the point that I want to get across to you is speaking in tongues provides a means for you to pray about things that you wouldn't know what to pray for otherwise. There was a, a certain situation that, uh, that took place where a lady, the missionary, told this story. 
he was back in the States having some meetings in the, in the, the country and, and that type of thing. And uh, a lady came up to him at one of the churches that had been partners with him for a number of years. And she came up and she said, Brother so-and-so, uh, were you in trouble last May? Well, that was several months before and it kind of took him, took him back. So he said, what do you mean, ma'am? And she said, well, she took out her little notebook, spiral notebook, and she, she had made some notes in something the Lord had, uh, uh, had prompted her to, to do. And she said, on May the 23rd or whatever the date was, I had a real burden to pray. And, and I prayed and prayed and I prayed for a couple of hours, just hard and fast. It was, it was very strong upon me. And I prayed on into the evening. And, um, uh, and at the end of that time of prayer, I prayed till I got a note of victory, which is the way to do it. That's what the old timers used to call praying through. She said, all of a sudden it changed. Now it's not a burden anymore, but there's a real lightness to it. Um, I start to pray and sing in tongues and, and that kind of thing. And I realized that it was a, it was a note of victory. Whatever I'd been praying about, I've, I've got the victory on this now. She said, and as soon as I, I started praying or singing in tongues and got the victory, your face flashed before me. She said, so I assumed, and I've assumed for these months that I was praying for you, but I have no idea what I was praying about. She said, and she looked at her notebook and she said, now the note of victory came at 7.04 in the evening. Now, does that mean anything to you? Well, at that very same day, on that very same day, he had been in some village, backwards village somewhere, and had contracted some kind of terrible disease, had been suffering with it for a couple of weeks up until that point in time, and had been pronounced dead by the other people that were there. They pulled the sheet up over his head and walked out of the hut and said, I'm sorry, he's dead. But at a certain moment, the spirit of life came back upon him and he rose up and then walked out of the hut. Now, folks, let me tell you, that's the point where your meeting starts. <laughs> because whoever has not believed you up to that point in time, things have now changed. So he said, well, it was on that day. And he said, but it was in the middle of the afternoon. And she said, well, I, I don't understand. That doesn't make any sense. And so they stood there and started thinking about it. And he said, wait a minute. He said it was 7.04 your time? When they got to thinking about the time change and the difference in, in the time zones and things like that, it was the exact moment when the life of God came back upon him and he walked out of there alive. Well, now how would she have known to pray for this missionary? How would, have anybody, how would anybody have known to pray for this person? This was many years ago when the communication wasn't so instant as it is now. And there was no way for anybody to know. That's what Romans 8.26 is talking about. At least one aspect of it. The Holy Ghost will give you opportunity to pray for things that you wouldn't know about otherwise. Now, my first exposure to this was in March of 1981. I'd been in, uh, uh, I'd gone to, to Ramah, started at uh, Bible school in Tulsa in uh, September of 1980. So I've been in school for about six months, maybe a couple of weeks more. And, uh, and uh, one thing that the Lord told me to do in the first year that I was there was go to healing school, which was a 2.15 meeting in the afternoon. Uh, the Lord told me to treat that like it was part of my school. So I had to get a job working graveyard shift type stuff uh, in a janitorial service, cleaning office buildings downtown so that I have enough money to pay for the things that I needed and be able to meet the schedule that, uh, that the Lord put on my heart to do where uh, the school was concerned. So this one afternoon, 
Brother Hagen comes in. We start the, the service just like every other time. I wasn't working for him at that time, so I was just sitting in the congregation, just sitting in the crowd. And, uh, and they turned it over to him. They took the offering and finished the singing, that kind of stuff. Turned it over to Brother Hagen. He said, folks, I've got to pray, and I've got to pray now. That's all he said. So he just kneeled down. There's a little platform about as high as this, and he kneeled down right there by the, the pulpit. And, uh, and I'd never seen any, much of anything like this before in my life. I'd been in some Pentecostal churches, but, man, nothing like this. So he started praying, and I'm sitting on the, the seat over there on the side, and I've got a straight shot to watch him. And, and he hardly took a breath for 45 minutes. I mean, he's praying as hard and fast as you could possibly do. It was supernatural. He was praying as hard about something as anything I could possibly imagine. And I'm just sitting there in awe. I, I'd like to say I was praying and helping, but I'm praying. And I'm not praying much at all. I'm doing more watching than I'm doing anything else. I'm praying a little bit, but, you know, the Bible says watch and pray. And uh, <laughs> so anyway, I'm watching Brother Hagen, And after about 45 minutes, he rolls over on his back. And grabs himself up on his side like this, upper chest. And he starts screaming, I'm shot. I'm shot. I'm thinking, how? (laughs) I'm not thinking this is spiritual. As soon as this happened, I thought somebody came in and shot him. I'm thinking, I didn't hear a thing. What is going on here? Well, he continued that for several more minutes. And then went back to praying, got back up on his knees. Went back to praying for another 10 minutes or so, something like that. And then he got a note of victory. He started saying, well, we got it. We got it. Whatever it was, we got it. We got it. Well, two weeks later, President Reagan was shot. Now, Brother Hagin came to, to uh, after it happened, and everybody was all upset, you know, and all this kind of stuff. Not Brother Hagin. He came to class or came to healing school that day that uh, uh, after President Reagan had been shot. I guess he'd been shot in the afternoon, the evening before, whatever it was. Anyway, the first time healing school took place after the assassination attempt, Brother Hagin comes in and everybody's all down. They're like, oh, no, we've got to pray. We've got to do this. We've got to do that. And Brother Hagin said, you don't have to pray. We've already prayed it out. He's going to be fine. And everybody's saying, well, how do you know? How do you know? He said, don't you remember two weeks ago when the Holy Ghost came upon us and it prompted us to pray? And I laid in the floor and started screaming. I was shot. That was him we were praying for. I thought, wow. Somebody said to him, not too long after that, and said, Brother Hagin, why didn't you advertise that and tell people what was going to happen? He said, the Secret Service would have come and gotten me. <laughs> you can't always tell things that are going to go on, see? Man, that had an impact on me. i never seen anything like that before in my life. <sighs> I thought, I guess this stuff really is real. I mean, I was hoping it was real. I was choosing to believe that it was real, but now I'm seeing this stuff real. Now, now you tell me, what happened there? He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto himself, but unto God, for no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit. Howbeit in the Spirit, he speaketh mysteries. In the Spirit, he speaketh mysteries. In the Spirit. Folks, I'm convinced that we pass up on a lot of spiritual experiences because we won't take time to speak in other tongues. We won't take time to pray things out in other tongues. Now, this is one thing I've learned, and I've learned it the hard way. 
I've got people all around me trying to hurry me up about doing things and that kind of stuff. I don't, I don't do anything without praying through in the Holy Ghost. Now, I used to be on the other end of that. I used to be one of the ones pushing Brother Hagin. Oh, Dad, Jesus is coming next week. We've got to move. He just laughed. He said, oh, you young fellas, we'll pray it out, and then we'll do it at the right time. I'm thinking, man, time's wasting, and you'll want to speak in tongues. I think most of the mistakes we make in life is because we don't allow the Holy Ghost to lead us because we won't take time to pray in other tongues. I know the most of the mistakes I've made have been impulsive ones. How about you? But you pray in the Holy Ghost until you don't care whether we move or not. Then you're in a good place for the Holy Ghost to say, now's the time. I don't think most Christians ever get to the place where they don't care one way or the other. And folks, that is one of the most beneficial places to be with God possible. Because as long as you want to move, as long as you want to keep going, as long as this is what you want to do, you've still got your flesh involved. You can't be led by the Holy Ghost completely until you get to the place where you say, Lord, I don't care one way or the other. I don't care. And the only thing that's ever gotten me to that place is praying in tongues. That's the only thing I've ever found to bring me to that place. Only thing. How be it in the spirit? How be it in the spirit? He speaks with mysteries. Turn with me over to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10. I want you to notice something about this. Revelation chapter 1 verse 10. John is on the island of Patmos. And he says something that precedes the revelation that he receives. Not only of the revelation of the seven churches, the condition of the seven churches in Asia but also what we know of as the book of Revelation that describes events in heaven and things that are going on at the same time here on the earth during the tribulation period. And notice the first thing that he says, what he precedes his revelation with. Verse 10, he said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. What does that mean? He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not to himself, but unto God, for no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. Now John is saying, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. How did he get there? I don't think anybody would argue that that's not a great place to be. I don't just want to be in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I'd like to be in the Spirit every day. How about you? Clearly, when you're in the Spirit, God shows you stuff. So if for no other reason, that's a great reason to be in the Spirit. But how did he get there? Folks, it's impossible for the Holy Ghost to mean one thing by being in the Spirit in, John, in uh, Revelation chapter 1 and something else by being in the Spirit when he says speaking in tongues, talking about speaking in tongues in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It's impossible. It's the same Holy Ghost inspiring these things to be written. So where John says, I was in the Spirit in the Lord's day, what he's saying is, I've prayed in the Holy Ghost to where I've gotten to the place where I'm more conscious of spiritual things than I am natural things. How be it in the Spirit? In the Spirit. Folks, I hope you realize that there's a spiritual realm that's a lot more real than this natural realm. 
there's a spiritual realm that created everything that we know of as real in this natural realm, this physical realm. But how many people ever, 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 I'm talking about spirit-filled Christians now. I'm not talking about the world. How many spirit-filled Christians ever come to the place where they're more conscious of spiritual things than they are natural things? I would suppose that number is going to be pretty small, percentage-wise. How be it in the Spirit? How be it in the Spirit? How be it in the Spirit? There was a... um, 1 Corinthians 14, the Bible talks about tongues and interpretation being the equivalent of prophecy. Let me read to you from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses, uh, I think it's verse 5 and 6. Let me see. Yeah, it's verse 5. He said, Paul said, uh, well, better back up to verse 4 again. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies or builds himself up, but he that prophesies edifies or builds up the church. Notice what Paul says. I would that you all spoke with tongues. Paul is saying very clearly everybody should speak with tongues. I want, by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, everybody to speak in tongues. Some people take these verses and they say Paul had a very dim view, took a very dim view of speaking in tongues. I don't know how you get that. Paul's saying it's a valuable thing, but he says it should be controlled and used in the right way. So he says, I would that you all spoke with tongues, but rather that you prophesied. So he's got to be talking about in the church. I would that you all spoke with tongues, but rather than you prophesied, for greater is he that prophesies than he that speaks with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. So the context that he's talking about is in church for the benefit of everybody that's there at the church service. I would prefer that you speak in a language that they can understand. Because that will help and bless them. So notice what he says. He says prophecy is greater than speaking with tongues unless you have interpretation with it. I guess the best example that we could use here is a dime is greater than a nickel. But if you add another nickel to the, to the one nickel you've got, now you've got the equivalent of the dime. Well, the two nickels are like tongues and interpretation. The dime is like prophecy. Prophecy is greater than tongues by itself, but if you add the interpretation to it, then it becomes the equivalent of prophecy. Why? Because the whole purpose that Paul is speaking of here is that the church is edified. Now he goes on and he says that in the church, every tongue should be interpreted. But there are exceptions even to that. Some years ago, uh, and this was a very unusual thing, it was on a Wednesday night. I don't remember what we were talking about or what we were teaching on or whatever. I don't even remember if it was relative to speaking in tongues or the Holy Spirit. But I remember that toward the end of the service, I said, why don't we all just lift up our voices and begin to speak in other tongues? Now, that's a very unusual thing for me to do in a service that I don't know that everybody is already filled with spirit for the very reasons the Bible talks about in these these chapters that Paul gives us instruction. But for whatever reason, I was just prompted to do it. So after the service... And we did. We just spent some time speaking in other tongues. Not not real long, but a little bit. And after the service, uh, somebody came to me and told me about something that had happened. They said that there had been a young lady. I think she was in the youth age at that time. This young lady had been in the service and had been familiar with her church, but was visiting, knew some other people there and knew the, the youth minister and that type of thing here at the church. And so they were visiting in the church. 
this young lady was dating a guy that was Persian. And he had been teaching her Farsi. He was Muslim. And so he had been teaching her Farsi. And so she told the youth minister, told Shaney, that when we began to speak with other tongues, I started speaking Farsi. Now, is there anybody on the planet that would think that I could speak Farsi? And she said that I spoke, I said some things that she understood. That I said in Farsi that she was dating the wrong kind of guy, that the, that the devil had put her in his life, and that she needed to break up with this guy. Now, you parents, just put you in your request for your kids. <laughs> Let me know what language you need. Well, that didn't need an interpretation. That wasn't a message, what we might call a message in tongues, but that didn't need an interpretation because she understood what was being said. Now, if I went by the strict letter of the law here, then I would have looked around and said, well, you know, there's probably some people here that aren't filled with the Spirit, so we shouldn't speak. We ought to just hold this, keep this to ourselves. But what a disservice would have been done. Look how we would have aborted what the Holy Ghost was trying to do to get across to this young lady. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto God, speaketh not unto men, but unto God, for no man understandeth him, howbeit in the Spirit. Now, I wasn't conscious that I was in the Spirit doing anything. I wasn't conscious of anything other than we need to do this. Seemed like a natural thing. Might be a little bit unusual, but hey, it seemed like the thing to do at the moment. So that's all I knew. That's all I had. If you asked me ahead of time, what did you? Oh, Pastor Mike, what did you know? I didn't know anything. That's my normal state of being. <laughs> I get amused by these people that try to act like they know everything. Jeez. And when the Holy Ghost starts moving, I know nothing. I'm always excited to find out when it happens. Because that's how the Holy Ghost leads you. He leads you by an, a witness. He leads you by a prompting, by an inspiration. It's something that's small. It's something that's simple. It turns out to be real profitable. So if I followed the letter of the thing, we'd have missed it entirely. Robbed this little girl of the information that, she was trying, that God was trying to get to her. So even where this thing is, even where the instruction is given to us, there might be times where the Holy Ghost would do things in a different way. Yet we could certainly say that these are guidelines. Guidelines. I, I can't get away from that phrase. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Folks, that's one of the greatest benefits of speaking in other tongues is it makes you aware and conscious of spiritual things. Now, I believe, and I, I think we may have talked about this a little bit last Sunday morning, I believe that that is of great, maybe the greatest benefit and importance because the more you learn what it is to be in the Spirit, then the more that you can cooperate with the Holy Ghost when He manifests Himself in a different way other than tongues. But how few people do that? How few people do that. I remember how um, 
insignificant I felt when I first got around Brother Hagin. There were some times where we would pray privately. Brother Hagin would pray a lot different privately than he would in, in prayer meetings. And we'd pray privately, and I'd feel like just crawling in a hole. Because he'd pray, and you could tell he's talking to God. I'd pray, and it would, well, I didn't know what I was doing. He asked me one time, he said, Mike, what do you think the difference is in your prayers and my prayers? And I didn't even think. I just popped off. Results? <laughs> he laughed. He slapped his knee and laughed. He thought that was funny. And I thought, yeah, that was a good line. I wish I'd thought that up. But it just kind of came out of my mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth slips. But I remember how inadequate I felt when I got around him when he was praying. Because he'd pray heaven and earth together. And it was great to watch. But he wasn't doing it so that we'd watch. He was setting an example for what we could attain to. Well, I still don't think I'm there. But it's a place that we should all try to aspire to. Now, another thing about being filled with the Holy Ghost, another thing about the Holy Ghost, the way he moves. And again, I'm going to use one of Brother Hagin's stories. This was before Brother Hagin was ever filled with the Spirit. He said that he went to visit somebody that, uh, that was in the town. He was already pastoring the little church, and, uh, but not Spirit-filled. He wasn't Spirit-filled, and so the church wasn't either. And so he went to visit somebody that was there in, uh, in the church and hadn't seen them for a long time. I don't know what the situation was, whether it had been gone for, for a time or whatever it was. But anyway, he went to see these folks, and he knew that she had cancer of the stomach. And the, the husband had, uh, had told him that back during Depression days, he'd spent over $10,000 of, of money out of pocket to provide healing for his wife, try to get her some help. And that would be the equivalent of a million or so today, I guess. But, uh, but anyway, he said that uh, when he sat down, uh, it was about noontime, and they were they were just having breakfast. He had come in late the night before, and so they'd gotten up late in the morning, and so they're just having breakfast, had bacon and eggs and stuff like that. And he said, "Well, I knew she would never eat anything that had any grease or anything hot like bacon or something like that." He said, "I, I walked in on them, you know, came into the to the kitchen where they were, and she's sitting there eating a big old plate of bacon and eggs." He said, "My eyes got real big." He said, "Well, sister, what are you doing?" She said, "Oh, I'm healed." I'm healed. He said, what happened? You've got to tell me the story. And so she said, well, I went down to the full gospel tabernacle last Saturday night, whenever it was, whatever the, however long ago it had been. And I went to the altar to get filled with the Holy Ghost. She said, while I was there in the altar, I'm just praying, you know, asking God to fill me. She said, there were some other people that, uh, that were praying for me and around me. And she said, you know, we, we, I, I really wasn't too conscious of what was going on. I wound up just laying there on the altar, laying on my back right there in the altar. I've got my eyes shut. She said, but with my eyes shut, I saw a beam of light come from heaven and strike me right in the top of the head. Now, I didn't have that experience when I got filled with the Holy Ghost. Did you? See, people try to make other people fit their experience rather than what the Bible says. But anyway, she said, I saw this beam of light come and hit me on the top of the head. Or right, you know, between my eyes, my forehead. And she said, next thing I know, I'm speaking in other tongues. Okay, well, I can accept that. 
Now she's got the evidence of being filled with the Holy Ghost by speaking in other tongues. We're on good ground, you know. I, I'm not put off by her experience with the light. Neither should anybody else be. But then she said this. She said, and from that moment forward, it just seemed like the most natural thing in the world to receive my healing. She said, I've been eating everything that I wanted to eat. She said, as a matter of fact, last night I had chili for the first time in years. Well, Brother Hagin, like I said, wasn't filled with the Holy Ghost. So he, he's wondering about this. Now, we've seen a lot of things like that. I saw a lot of this, this kind of stuff happen when, uh, uh, when I worked with, with Brother Hagin. Because if Brother Hagin would come to, to a, a town, we'd have a crusade or something like that. He would tell people that came to be ministered to, to have hands laid on them for healing. He would tell them, now, you go to the prayer room first. If you come, if you want to be filled with the Holy Ghost, and you're thinking, I can't go to the prayer room because I need to stay out here and have Brother Hagin lay hands on me. He said, you go to the prayer room first and then come back out later on. He said, we'll still lay hands on you if we need to. He said, most of the time we don't need to. And there were a number of times where people would get their healing when they got filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, why? There's no example in the Bible where people got healed because they got filled with the Holy Ghost. What is that? But you put yourself in a greater measure in the presence of the healer, which is what being filled with the Holy Ghost is. You're allowing the presence of God in a greater way into your life. You get in the presence of God in a greater measure. And it'll inspire your faith. Just as she said, it seemed to be the most natural and simple thing in the world to receive her healing now that she's filled with the Holy Ghost. Well, what made the difference? She's got the helper in a greater measure. She had the helper. She had the Holy Ghost in salvation. But now she's filled. She's got a greater measure. I think that's part of what Jude 20 is talking about too. But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, he'll inspire you to believe. Oh, I wish I could get this across to folks. I wish I could get the importance of speaking in other tongues in their lives over to people. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God. For no man understandeth him. How be it in the Spirit? How be it in the Spirit? How be it in the Spirit? He speaketh mysteries or divine secrets. Speaks mysteries or divine secrets. God wants to share his secrets with you. But he can't do it if you won't spend time in tongues. He can't do it if you won't spend time speaking in other tongues. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it's true. Thank you for the greater one that lives in us. Father, forgive us for having ignored the greater one. For not having taken advantage of the wonderful benefits and blessings of being filled with power from on high. Now with heads bowed and eyes closed, before we leave this morning, if there's anybody here 
that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, we want to give them the opportunity to find Him. We want to give them the opportunity for their lives to be changed. And if there's anybody here that's not been in fellowship with God, they are saved, but they've gone their own way, but would like to return to fellowship with God as if they had never strayed. We want to give them that opportunity as well. And then thirdly, if there's anybody here this morning who knows that they're born again, they know they're a child of God, but they're not filled with the Spirit, and we're talking about the experience that we've been speaking of all morning long, but they want to be filled with the Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, we want to give them that opportunity as well. So let's take them one by one. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you want to, you're ready to surrender your life to Him. You're ready to say yes to the Lord and experience the peace and the joy that can only come through Jesus. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If that's you, I just want by the uplifted hand, by you just raising your hand right where you are to say, I choose to make Jesus the Lord of my life this morning. If that's your desire, please lift your hand right now. We're looking around the room just to see who we're going to be praying for. Anyone? All right, if there's anybody here that would say, Pastor Mike, I know I'm a child of God. But I've gone my own way. I haven't really let Jesus be the Lord of my life. But I'm ready to surrender control of my life back to Him. I want to be forgiven and come back in fellowship with my Heavenly Father as if I had never left. If that's your desire, I want you to lift your hand right where you are. We want to pray for you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Why don't you put your hand up? You can put it right back down. All right. Third category. Maybe you're here this morning and you know you're a child of God, but you've never been filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. But you want to receive that this morning. If that's your desire, I want you to lift your hand right where you are. Yes, thank you. Several. Good. Are there others? Thank you, ma'am. Okay. If you lifted your hand on any of these three invitations, I want you and only you to open your eyes and look up here at me. Everybody else, I'm going to ask in the congregation to keep your eyes closed in the attitude of prayer. So if you lifted your hand on any of these three invitations, or if you know you should have, I want you to look up here at me. I want to talk to you for just a moment. All right. God's going to meet each one of you with what you desire to to receive from him. We're going to pray for you, just as I said that we would, but we want to do it in a way that we'll know you'll receive. So I'm going to ask you, there's a gentleman back here by the main doors. He's got his hand up, one of our ushers, David. He's going to take you to the prayer room. Now, the reason we take you to a prayer room rather than have you come up front here is because if you came up to the front, you'd be concerned about what people are thinking and what's going on behind you and all that other kind of stuff. In this way, we can do it in a private manner so that we can not only minister to you in an individual way, but we can put some materials in your hands that will help you to know what you've got and how to use it. If you came with somebody, tap them on the shoulder. I'm sure they'll be more than happy to go with you. You don't have to go by yourself. 
We don't care if there's extra people in the room. That'll be just fine. So I'm going to ask you to gather your belongings, your purses, your Bibles, whatever you brought with you. Gather your belongings and make your way over to where that gentleman is and he's going to take you to the prayer room where you'll receive from the Lord. Go ahead and make your way out now, please, if you will. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Now, the rest of you in the congregation, I'm going to ask you to stand with us, please. We want to pray for these folks that have gone out to the prayer room. There's about six or eight folks that just went out. So let's pray for each one of them. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that your word says that those that come to Jesus, you will in no wise or for no reason turn them away. So we thank you in faith beforehand for saving each one that needs salvation, for restoring to fellowship those that choose to return, and for filling each one of them with the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. We thank you, Father, for the presence of God in the prayer room and upon the prayer room workers. We thank you that they shall receive easily and simply by the hand of God. Now, Father, for us, We thank you for the privilege that we have to speak in other tongues and to enter into spiritual things. We commit to you, Father, that we will utilize that which the Holy Ghost has given us. We'll no longer ignore the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, but we shall put him first. Our desire, Father, is to be controlled by the Spirit of God. In every way. And we realize that this is the entryway. The doorway for that to happen. Is by speaking in tongues. Thank you Father for revealing to us. What you would have us to see. For strengthening us. To make good on our commitments. Thank you Father. For the privilege that we have. To speak divine secrets. In the spirit of God. In Jesus precious name. If you agree with that, say amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us. Don't forget our prayer school today is at 5 o'clock in the Fellowship Hall and healing schools at 6.